Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Resect Podcast. I'm your host, Norman Yeo, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, DFLASH. Each episode, I bring in a different person from business who's doing some really game-changing things. And today's episode, I am so excited to have Jennifer Herman, who's the EVP of Client Partnerships and Marketing at Evergreen Trading, which is a fascinating company. So we're going to get into it. It's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Laura. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Well, we just figured out that we know each other from we look at the same parking space and have waved and chat. See? <laughs> small world, small world. And uh, now we get to share a coffee together. <laughs> yes. We will go by the coffee machine and have one of those weird oat lattes. Right, uh, right. <laughs> with, with restricted milk options. Okay. Yes, very restricted milk options. You're like, really? That's all? Okay. What happened to my full milk? It's like, can I have some almond milk? My king. Damn. Um, <laughs> But that's okay. Um, <laughs> Soho works. It's a great place. We love you. Soho works. Absolutely. Uh, Susanna and Amy are the best. Um, so we'll get right into it. So the first question is always the same. And I'm all, 200 plus episodes, still fascinated by all the answers that folks come up with and the one that strikes them the most when, they, when, they, when this question comes to mind. So Jennifer, what was your first job? Yes. My first job out of college was actually at a, a receptionist at a very small toy advertising agency. And I think even more unique or fun because I graduated in the 90s. So back in the day, I actually found that job. And for those of you who don't know what the old school newspaper is, when you get black and white uh, ink on your fingers from turning the page, I found the job in the classified sections of the New York Times. Wow. And, uh, yes. True story. Paper, actual paper. You True story. I picked up a paper. I had my pen out. My I don't even think that I had a highlighter and I circled all the different, you know, help wanted ads. And and it was, you know, the, the, the I don't know if, if many or any of your listeners will recall this either. But at a college, we were when you went to a recruiting agency, you took a typing test. So I had to take a typing test and, you know, on my resume was the words per minute I could type. And I found this job and it wasn't about the receptionist clearly that excited me the most. It was about being an independent small toy agency. So uh, I interviewed um, at the toy agency and I got the job and I sat in front of a massive uh, switchboard. <laughs> oh my <laughs> was, God. Yes, like back in the day that you could imagine, you know, you didn't have the eight buttons that a typical office phone might have right now. It's probably like 80 buttons of, of uh, you know, lights going off. And uh, and I worked my way up that organization uh, to being an account executive um, uh, at, at a wonderful uh, entrepreneurial company. So I started at the very bottom. I guess the only other place you can start is the mailroom because I've heard that from different people. But I started at the front desk. Uh, as a receptionist, ordering lunch, answering phones, and actually learning about the business because there's only about 15 people there. So it was wonderful. You know, that's, and you know, it's it's always so fascinating um, when folks talk about these first jobs because they just correlate to what they do and yeah. right now because it's the one that pops in your head. That's always the thing that's um, so fascinating. And, you know, similarly, you know, you, know, you got a chance to grow with a company and it was what they were doing that fascinated you. And I'm sure Absolutely. that correlates to what you do now. <laughs> well, and, and also what I tell, you know, I, I, have a, I have five wonderful nieces and nephews and two of them recently graduated college. And I always you know, express to them that you don't necessarily have to work for the biggest and brightest brand at the time to move throughout your career. Sometimes starting in a smaller entrepreneurial place will actually give you an advantage because you are exposed to so much more than you would ever be if you were one of many at a you know, massive ad agency or you know, I eventually got myself to gray advertising, et cetera. But if I would have started there, I might've not been, I definitely wouldn't have been exposed to so much learning so quickly. And, exposed to every aspect of a business, the creative side, the business side, the, uh, the executive management side, uh, the financial side. I mean, I saw it all. So there was, I still continue to this day, think that there's a great advantage to starting at small organizations that are doing entrepreneurial stuff. And it's kind of where I ended up in the la latter life of where I am now. But yeah, that was my very first job. 
Yeah, and, and I think this is the thing that a lot of folks, especially now, we're especially coming out of college, need to understand, like, you are not going to be Beyonce on day one. <laughs> Let me remind you that she was on Star Search and lost. Yes, <laughs> right. Which so, I don't, I did not remember until you just said that. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, the road is not one that magically you snap your fingers and, and, it, and it happens is that like you will kind of Drake song is right you started from the bottom but now you're here like you do have to start and I always think that like it's much more important to start somewhere get that experience and then take it along the road like similarly I started a very small bespoke uh, consulting firm and I got the work of the CEO who's a woman in business who'd been entrepreneurial and prior that she'd been a big time executive at Revlon. And I learned so much sitting with her for three years, going to every meeting, chatting, you know, chatting with the senior leadership folks and just like listening, like learning how to properly listen. So like now, you know, 15, 16 years later, what's the thing people know? I actually can hear what you're saying before you said it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a huge point, uh, you know, active listening, the same thing that, you, you know, you kind of, it's, it's some, some of it is innate, other, uh, other parts of it is learned. But to your point, you know, when you're able to be in a situation where you can observe all kinds of levels of thinking at one table, it's just priceless. And uh, it, I, I truly think, it gives younger executives an advantage. You know, you gave a great example about Beyonce. You know, I'm a sports fan. I actually worked for the NBA for years. We could talk about that too. But I always remember the Michael Jordan story. You know, he was never the starting basketball player. He was just the hardest working. He was on the court, you know, in high school, after practice, after games, shooting the ball, shooting the ball, shooting the ball. So, you know, you're, you're just because you might not feel like at the time, you're the best player on the field. It doesn't, it doesn't always matter, you know, and, and that just that journey of, you know, where you start, how you approach your business day, how you actively listen and how you, your work ethic all leads to, you know, the road that you will eventually want to take. And also you appreciate it more. You absolutely appreciate it more because you see, you can see where, how, where you were. So and when you get to that next point, you're like, I have really done this. And like, there yes. is some innate value in the ability to understand that like, it was pretty awesome. I, yeah. I, I made that happen. Right. Um, yeah. And, oh yeah. Earning it is, is, feels really, really, really good. So speaking of earning it, so we get you from starting at the receptionist to moving your way up in the company to now being big boss lady at Evergreen Trading. <laughs> what was this journey? Overnight. <laughs> I know, you snap your fingers overnight. <laughs> uh, the journey was, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know that I've ever pursued companies. I've pursued interesting people at companies. So I can't say that, you know, I wasn't looking, uh, you know, well, I'll pass, uh, you know, the first job. You're just trying to get a job. But after that, uh, I met someone who happened to work for advertising. Her name was Nicole Ferry and someone who I'm actually dear friends with to this day. And we've been, you know, uh, we've been colleagues together. She's been a mentor to me and uh, we actually have done business together now that she's at another company. But I met her um, and was intrigued by her style, her brain, meaning management style, her the way of thinking. And we got into a wonderful conversation of what it would be like for me to work for her at Gray. So literally, I, I wasn't pursuing Gray advertising at the time. I met an individual that uh, excited me about the opportunity working for her. So I managed to get myself at Gray advertising. I spent many years uh, at Gray advertising on different pieces of business from uh, Domino's Pizza to uh, Flonase and Flovent, which was at the time the first, the first direct to one of the first direct to consumer campaigns. I don't know if you remember, but it's when commercials had to be 90 plus seconds and uh, print ads had to be three pages because you're explaining everything. So, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, so I worked on Olive Garden. You know, I had a lot of different tremendous category experience within that organization just by continuing to do the work necessary to uh, be the best 
account executive uh, I could be. You know, the other interesting part was I really always thought that I would want to be something, somebody in the creative world, but I never fancied myself too creative. So I thought, well, I can't be an artist. I can't draw. Uh, I can't be a designer. I can't design, but I love the world of creativity. And I didn't realize that there was a business aspect to be being creative. And I would say both my early days at both Posnick and Colker, which was that toy company that I started at in gray, helped me understand that advertising uh, on the account executive side was just a way of seeing creativity differently, really from a problem solving perspective. Yep. So it, it started to hook me then, you know, it's just, I was like, okay, I could be within this creative environment and still apply my own strengths to it. Awesome. Uh, so how did we end up at the NBA and then to Evergreen Trading? Yeah, so the NBA, similar scenario. We were, <clears throat> I was actually part of an organization called Women in Sports and Events. And I joined that organization for twofold. I've always been very passionate about the sports industry. And as an executive at the NBA, I was always looking for new opportunities to potentially bring in um, new business clients, quite frankly. So I joined this uh, female networking organization called WISE, Women in Sports and Events. And I met another woman there named, uh, I, I don't know her, her main name, but there, her name is uh, Jennifer, I think it was Nelson at the time. And she worked for the WNBA. And I quite frankly, I was pitching her on, our company's help in branding the WNBA. And then she started to recruit me to work for the NBA. Once again, I wasn't looking to, uh -huh. to the NBA. That, that wasn't even my wildest dream. Like I would be able to work for the NBA. I mean, not, not didn't, even, didn't even think it wasn't on my vision board. <laughs> and uh, that was a very long uh, recording process, but you know, kind of getting to know you process. And I met, uh, with Jennifer, and um, she introduced me to a number of different people in the organization. And for about four months, I just kind of let myself explore what a potential opportunity for an organization at that caliber could be. And then I decided I wanted it. <laughs> you know, it went from just being curious about what that organization was and what could I possibly contribute to it because I was a sports fan, but I wasn't necessarily a massive basketball fan at the time and I was very open about that when I was interviewing and uh and they loved that about me they loved that I had a different perspective on what marketing could be etc and I spoke at the time with Mark Tatum who's now the deputy commissioner at the NBA and I ultimately reported up to him uh Jennifer was part of our uh, my uh, interviews uh process Rachel uh Jacobson uh, who now is the president for the Drone Racing League. I mean, I was exposed to such incredible people just throughout my interview process. I thought, how could I not want an opportunity here? And lo and behold, after, I don't know, a four-month interview process, they made an offer to me in their marketing partnerships group. And I jumped at it. And I spent four years there. Awesome. Yeah. It's an incredible, I mean, I don't know that I'm saying anything uh, not obvious here, but it is one of the most incredible experiences I've had as an executive. I've had as an employee. It was my Harvard education. Uh, there was a demand for excellence at the NBA uh, that was second to none, and it was challenging, and it was hard, and it was scary, but it was an incredible, incredible opportunity to work with not only the NBA, who is a tremendous brand, but every single marketing partner in their wheelhouse. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, you know, I mean, just you can imagine, you can imagine all the different brands globally, too. It Nike, was a global Gatorade, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, like all of them. All of them. Nike, mine personally were Nike, Gatorade, Anheuser-Busch, Southwest Airlines, uh, to, to name a few, and, and many, many more that I was personally able to participate in uh, part of the you know, marketing partnership aspect of the job. And it's really where I learned, if I can say, you know, being in advertising, especially in the beginning uh, of my career, it was very much a vendor service industry, right? So when I went to the NBA, it was very much a, you know, what I would 
a partner, you know, partnership or the partner economy where we were doing things for one another. So it was, I really liked that aspect too. You know, brands wanted something from us and we may have wanted something from brands. That was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. Like, I feel like, you know, we've sort of evolved in that from how our agency has grown, you know, we went from being like, okay, we're the event company to like, we're sort of your trusted partner on like, should I be doing this? Like, what's actually interesting? Like, how is this going to actually affect culture? And, you know, and that always gives you a better window into the world when you view it much more as a partnership versus a vendor service uh, and client relationship. Um, Absolutely. You know, a lot of the partnerships in the agency world now kind of somewhat result of revolve around, you know, well, do we all have skin in the game? And I get it. It's important too. But, you know, when I talk about the partnership economy, it's how can both of our assets benefit one another? You know, how can NBA's, you know, global reach help brands who are trying to break out in certain global markets? Or, you know, on the flip side, how could, you know, the NBA who's trying to get in at the time, trying to get into different uh, C and D counties where maybe ML, MLB or NHL is more prominent, and, and how do we use our brand partnerships to have a great connectivity in those C and D counties to help raise our awareness, et cetera? So it truly was a wonderful partnership of sharing. So cool! All right, yeah, so really cool. So you get to do that, and then you're at now at Evergreen Trading, which, like I said, I was doing reading before, and I was like, "What? This is fascinating." Um, so I'd love for you to tell us about like how you got there and and the, what's the kind of evergreen trading story? Yeah, sure. Uh, I got there by simply never saying no to anybody giving me an opportunity. You know, I was I, I actually spent a little time back at Gray Advertising after the MBA before I made my way to Evergreen. Um, but I got a call one day from somebody who I used to work with at Gray said, you know, you need to check this company out. They're in uh, Pearl River, New York. And I'm, and I'm going to pivot a little bit because I didn't go right to Evergreen. I went to the media trade or barter industry first. Um, so I went to this the company previous to, uh, to Evergreen. And once again, I met a gentleman who I work for today called, named Mark Ordover. And Mark Ordover talked to me about an industry that I never heard of in a way that was more special than any of the kind of sexiest brands I've ever worked for with Gray in the NBA. There was just something so uh, innovative about how this industry was using media investment to, um, to solve financial problems for both um, media vendors and uh, brands and global and big brands at that. So, once again, I met somebody. Uh, wasn't pursuing it, right? I met somebody, and it truly is, you know. I and I kind of—it's an aha moment for myself because I think it really is interesting. And I don't know if this is unique or a lot of people share experience where I've truly been attracted to individuals at a company and never really pursued the brand itself. And I'm so fortunate because I might have never pursued this, uh, you know, not might have, I would never have pursued a, a career in corporate trade uh, because I, I didn't think it was for me until you meet a person that can demonstrate that, wow, I can actually see myself here. So uh, so I've spent the last almost 12 years in, um, in media trade, media investment, and I currently work for Evergreen Trading. And, you know, what we do is really, really unique and innovative. You know, we're essentially a business tool that helps clients, uh, again, on the brand and media vendor side, mitigate risk and, and just navigate what we're in now, which can be a really uncertain economic future. Uh, and we do that essentially at the heart of what we do as a media investment firm is you know, provide capital to media vendors uh, to help them solve a financial need. In return for that risk that we take and the capital we provide, we have access to unrestricted me media futures uh, that we get at below market costs. And the, the fun starts is when we're able to then leverage that uh, position that we have and go to different brands and solve different 
needs for them. So let, let me pause and give, give an example because I don't want to get too far down the explanation <laughs> without, without bringing it to light. My guess is everybody's been reading about the, uh, the big volatility of the supply chain uh, situation now and, and how, oh my God. You know, right. Will- and how, <laughs> yeah. So I know we're all panicked that we're not going to get our seasonal apparel or, or, or Christmas or, or Hanukkah keys or whatever we're celebrating. But the truth is the supply chain issue has wreaked havoc on many businesses. So, you know, they're going to go from eventually having zero supply when they need it to potentially an overabundance of shipments that arrive in bulk. Right. So the problem will eventually be I'm going to have a bunch of stuff sitting in my warehouse uh, that are losing value, you know, by the minute. So a program like ours and what we do as a, a trading company is saying, okay, we'll help you guys out. We'll buy that excess inventory and we'll pay you above market value for it because we're going to help you re- recoup your costs that you lost. And we're going to um, enable you to earn that incremental financial benefit that we provided by buying uh, that media through us that we have at low market cost. So really the outcome is we give companies a faster and better way to utilize their assets, a better way to recognize a stronger return on investment on their marketing plans. And at the end of the day, the result will hopefully be a significant incremental financial gain. That's why companies work with us. We give them an opportunity to do more with things they have and create an opportunity to um, increase the value and the return on investment. So it's it's a really unique solution that, quite frankly, a whole podcast, we can talk about why and how. But we're really excited about all the different offers, the solutions we offer. Wow. So... Uh, I think I can even break this down further. Basically, you essentially help brands and um, factor their uh, excess inventory. Yes, uh, one of many things. Yeah, on a very basic level, we can help brands better utilize excess inventory, correct? And then they can make a profit on that. So like, you know, especially now as folks are trying to figure out what do I do with all this, all these extra widgets, um, and you're like, well, actually, we can help you do this. Right, exactly. Or, or think about, you know, like quick service restaurants. They often, you know, have special menu items uh, in a limited time offering window. Uh, if one, the the uh, the offering didn't go as well as they thought it would be, or two, they, the ingredients that they ordered for the item is stuck in supply chain, they're going to miss that window, right? So then they have this excess, we can help buy it from them seasonal apparel, the turnover, you know, you know, what do I do with all the summer uh, shorts and khakis and everything I have in my warehouse that didn't sell through, uh, especially packaging for pumpkin, you know, pumpkin spice, it's the oh, season's God. back for pumpkin spice. <laughs> what do we do with that? Yeah, we, we have, yeah, we have a tool that will enable partners to utilize assets um, and leverage uh, what, what what could be a loss leader into a really strong um, media investment. Right, because you can find someone who will use those extra onions that were going to go in that meal for McDonald's. Always. There's always a market for it. And quite frankly, you know, categories pop up that we might not even imagine five years ago. If I can tell, if, if you asked me five years ago whether or not we would be buying excess hand sanitizers exactly. and masks and everything, I would have said, no, I would be buy that. So really the most unique um, part about our uh unique offering is that we can uh, we can buy the unimaginable we can solve for the unimaginable because uh, the world's always changing and needs different and uh it's an incredible you know like i said it's an incredible innovative company uh led by entrepreneurs uh that uh you know have a great vision of what our category can be you know, this is so fascinating on so many levels. Um, one, because um, last year I helped obviously a nonprofit help get PPE to 
um, hospitals and organizations that needed it um, because obviously it was a disaster. Wish I knew you last year. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, because you probably could have helped the problem we had. Uh, but two, I think, you know, we're all seeing this sort of global supply chain issue have happening right at right this very second because um, if you're trying to order anything, you know, things are delayed. I mean, we, you know, we have clients all around the world and we're running into this issue whereby like we like we, we did something in Mexico where we could not find Wi-Fi hubs. It's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, everyone's at home in Mexico. And so there are no Wi-Fi hubs. Uh, and it's crazy to think that like that actually happens. But like, no, between everything being stuck in ports places um and people under ordering because of the world we used to we, we used to be in in 2019 like you've got all these really interesting opportunities for companies to be like hey we've got extra stuff here's how we commit this work so yeah a hundred percent and really the companies that you know are best suited for us to partner with it's twofold you know Typically, the best way to kind of start in a partnership is if there is some sort of, you know, kind of asset pain point. And we're talking about, you know, right now we're focusing on the supply chain, but it could be real estate. It could be, um, you know, and committed media upfronts that are not working for them, committed sponsorships, sports sponsorships that are not giving them a return on investment. So there are, there are many quote unquote asset categories from soft to hard that, you know, really um, work within our solutions uh, program. Two, the companies that we work with do have to have a a media spend because when we purchase uh, assets from brands and or um, help them uh, with financial needs and, you know, give them a cash injection potentially for either getting out of a financial commitment or partnering with a, a sports sponsorship, you know, because we're not an agency that charges fees, we ask them to spend media money back with us, one, uh, so that they can get even more ROI in, in their media marketing spend because of that future position I told you about earlier. Uh, and two, you know, that's how we as an organization make our money back as well. So, you know, the two key elements that make for a perfect brand for us is uh, one, you, you have some sort of uh, pain point that we can help you with. And then two, you have a media spend that you can dedicate a portion of it, not all of it, but a portion of it through our program. Yeah, no, that's remarkably innovative and just like makes perfect sense. It's like, of yeah, and what I will say, you know, we talked about active listening before is while partners often start working with us for a specific pain point, like, okay, I got a supply chain issue, et cetera. The needs that happen over the term of the partnership often change. You know, I had a client call me, and my favorite story is I had a client, Laura, call me on her commute to work just to chat. And she just needed some space and air to breathe. And she said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I overspent my budget. What am I gonna do? I said, I can help you, I can fix that. We, you know, media trade can fix that. We we could we could work on helping you kind of cover the you know uh, the cost of your overspent budget if you commit to certain advertising spend with us over the next year or something like that. So just being able to pick up pain points throughout and actively listening to what your partner's saying just is a wonderful way of again going back to that partnership economy, right? To to help each other out. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially now as we're in this really unique set of circumstances that has completely upended every single industry, that the need for smart partnerships, innovative partnerships is absolutely so necessary. And it's not being like, well, oh, that would never work for me, but like, oh, let's have a chat. Because yeah. there's a way to find a, a happy medium where we can get something to work for both of us. And I do think that as a result of the last year and a half, that conversation of, oh, that could be able to work together is much easier to have versus before I think folks were far more close to invest and we're suffering because of it. But I think yeah. you know, we've had to break down a ton of walls and flatten out our industries a lot more as a result of all being forced to be at home and that we all got collective issues. Yeah, 100%. I mean, let's just yeah. do it. 
and, and working from home has certainly provided its challenges in how we sell ourselves, our company, and how we prospect. It's, you know, our journey together in the sales cycle is a, is a longer one for, for our industry. And it, and it happens a lot when you're sitting next to each other, either at a dinner or at a conference room, uh, because there's a trust you have to earn uh, when you're pitching a business like ours. Um, and it's proven to be a little bit more difficult over Zoom. And how do you present? And how does it look? What does it look like? And can you get your message across via slides on a PowerPoint page or, you know, so it's, it's definitely been presented its own challenges for us as well. Um, but you all will obviously see your way through. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, lights are turning on. People are actually going yes. again, which is fantastic. Oh my God. It was like, just go to dinner. We'll see. Yes. Like I, I said it to somebody else. I was like, can we just meet? Because like I'm so tired of Zoom, and like I, I'm sure we'll solve this in five minutes. So I'm having I'm having lunch for today. I'm like, Ding, easy, right? Uh, exactly. Yep. So you know, looking back on your really awesome and unique career, you know, what was the challenge that you were, you know, you had to endure, and you're like, there's no way I'm getting through this, and then you did. Oh. Oof. So many. Um, <laughs> well, listen. There's there's personal challenges, right? And and you know, uh, meaning you know, I've always been somebody. You know, I am part of the LGBTQ plus community, and um, you know, came out later in life. So um, so I've always had. Um, how can I put this? Uh, yeah, well, listen, at the, at the very high level, you know, there's always been a self of a, a point of imposter syndrome sometimes, right? So it's, it's when you hide for long enough and you, you're concerned about what people might think of you, it translates in how you present yourself in a business environment. So for years, I've, you know, even after I, I came out, which, you know, I'm out and proud for many, many years now, but, you know, I always had some uh, nerves around public speaking and being in front of an audience and even doing something like this. So, you know, from a personal growth challenge, uh, I continue to work on feeling really good about what I've accomplished and what I've earned and that I can do it. You know, and that's, that's very just, that's a personal challenge. Business challenges happen every single day. You know, I mean, especially at the NBA, you know, that is an organization where brand partners throw curveballs at you constantly. I mean, it's just such a fast moving thing. I mean, we, there was a scenario I, I recall where we had a, a contract in place with one of our partners and in the contract, they were required to dedicate a certain amount of their annual media spend uh, on a branded NBA campaign. And, and if they didn't, there was a reconciliation fee that, that would be the consequence. Well, they didn't do it that year. And and, you know, you've got one side of the table saying, great, charging the reconciliation fee. And then you've got your other side saying, well, they're about to renew. And isn't there a better way? And what happened to partnership? And, and really just navigating those waters to make sure that you put two hats on, right? Of course, you have to do what's right for your organization and protect your bottom line. But you also have to do what's right for the long-term partnership. And things happen. People can't always keep obligations for a number of reasons. So how you navigate that, those waters, and, and it happens often, um, I think really uh, was something that we spent a lot of time at the NBA and, and some other companies doing. Yeah, it's it, and it's true. It's, it, 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 there's, so many, there's so many different ways you have to sort of like, okay, this house. <laughs> like, right. Uh, and also, per, and personally, like, you know, it's, you know, I think, I think back to when I was a wee munchkin first starting out in advertising and, you know, yeah, same deal. Didn't talk much. was kind of behind the scenes. was kind of a wallflower. Most people now are like, there's no way. And I'm like, yeah, same person. Um, yeah. Like, this, is, this is what growth looks like. Um, yeah. But I also feel like that, you know, you, you find your way on your own time. And, and when you feel, you'll know in your heart when you know that you have your voice. Yeah. Once you have your voice, do not shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, there are moments where you think you have your voice and then you don't have your, your voice. So it's um, it is, you know, somebody asked me uh, 
on the other podcast about some of the best advice you've gotten. And um, one of it was, you know, when someone tells you you're good at something, believe them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, Mark Wardover, who I'll mention again, who is uh, my boss now, and who is the first person I met in this worked in this industry and who I was enamored by in that first interview when when I started working for him day one 10 15 years ago he sent me to he was he called me and said okay you're going to uh this meeting it's a massive new business pitch and I said what do you mean I'm going to that meeting I'm I'm your rookie I, I just started like how are you putting and it was a really 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 big pitch I said how are you putting your rookie into the big Super Bowl game. Of course, I went back to my sports analogy. Of course. And, right, right. And he said, don't worry, I've got two of my best blockers in front of you. You're not going to fail. And I just remember, wow, what a wonderful way to be welcomed into the organization. So he trusted me and, and, and gave me, uh, you know, wings to fly, but also had some people around me said, you're protected, don't worry. And I just thought, what an amazing amazing ability to be kind of led in such a way. So uh, I try to do that with my own team, uh, probably not as successfully as Mark did for me. And it's always a work in progress from a management perspective, but, you know, having people around you who believe in you and give you the wings to fly and then pick you up when you might fall is uh, instrumental in your growth. Oh, you know, know, that touches on several things and one you know is about men giving sponsorship to women in business yep. and how this is really important because oftentimes we hear about this like oh i've got a really great male mentor <laughs> and it's like mentors are awesome sponsors are much more important yeah um, because they're the ones who stick their neck out and say jennifer's got this they're the yep. ones who say laura's got this and similarly in my career i had um someone who wasn't my boss but was a chief strategy officer at an agency I was working for. And it's like, yeah, you're going on this trip. And I'm like, what trip? He's like, it's a boondoggle with the client. Go have fun. And I'm like, you want me to go alone with the client? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, I don't even know this woman. She's like, Trust me, when you meet her, she will love you. And that will be the all you need to know. It was right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really important for you know, men in, in, in our industry, advertising, marketing, sales, what have you, to understand that it is not brain surgery to help women rise. It is uh, opening the door that you were able to walk through and just be like, come on through. And by the way, I'm not shutting the door behind you because you're not going to be the only woman I put forward. I need more of you because then we do, when we do things like that, we're able to build this really incredible diverse workforce that actually can get stuff done um, and is much more cost efficient than the yeah. one that we've had to deal with where it's a system that's broken and not empowering. And so it's awesome to hear that you had you had a sponsor like that who was like, I'm not gonna let you fall, but you got this. Because yeah. as women in business, we don't always believe that we can. And you know, we may have five of the seven things you need to be qualified for this job and be like, oh, I'm not that qualified. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I have one. And he's like, yeah. I'm in. And all in. Yeah. Oh. And li- listen, I've been, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't escape me that I've been very fortunate and lucky to have um, people around me. Listen, at the NBA uh, was um, a lot of my managers were men uh, at, uh, at, Ray, both. I had I actually had a great experience on both sides with female and male executive leaders and at Evergreen. Um, but none of my male leaders have ever, ever thought that there was a glass ceiling for women. I, I just, you know, I know it's not everybody's experience, so I, I feel very fortunate. And, and that, again, I think it's why it's important you look for, you don't look for working for companies, you look for working for people. Um, and these people, um, you know, just said, you can fly, do whatever you want in this company. Nothing, you know, the only person that's gonna stop you is you. So I've been very fortunate to have both very strong female and um, male uh, executive leaders in my life and partners, quite frankly, you know, uh, yeah, Mark is my boss, but you know, he'll say he's my partner faster than he'll say he's my boss. So, um, 
so yeah, I've been very fortunate, uh, but uh, you know, I've also made it a point to look for people I think I could spend a lot of time with during the day. Because in the beginning of your career, and even now, you, you sometimes you spend twelve hours a day with them. Do you, you know, yeah. do you want to be next to them? Are you learning from them? Are they challenging you? You know, and and if they're not, then you're not in the right place. You want to be challenged. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. You know, thinking about all you've been able to accomplish and, you know, your your personal and professional growth, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old Jennifer? Um, I think in the beginning, I would say it's hard work. So so do it. Do the work. You know, I'm a studier. Uh, sometimes uh, don't don't let studying and preparation get away from your ability to pivot, though. But, you know, kind of rolling up your sleeves doing the work, studying, uh, not, you know, working for a person, not for a company. Uh, I, I can't say that enough. Um, and really not saying no to an opportunity. You know, I, I, when I got introduced to the media trade world, it was outside New York City. I had to rent a car, Laura, because I didn't have a car. I had to drive out to this company that was 50 miles outside of New York City to meet. And I thought I could have easily said no. I was at the NBA. I was at Gray. Like, no, why am I going to this unknown company? But somebody I trusted said, you don't want to miss this opportunity to talk to this company. And I listened to them. So I think, you know, keeping good people around you, keeping good uh, mentors around you, finding them. There's so many different places you can go out and find somebody who can help you out. Um, and quite frankly, I still do it today to at almost 50 years old. I'm still looking for people who can teach me something that I don't already know. Awesome. Such great advice. Because uh, I, I, I am still consistently amazed by folks who don't realize that like it is go for it. Take yeah. the opportunity. Like it is not going to be handed to you. Right. <laughs> it's not. It is not. And what you said earlier is on point. It feels so much better when it's not handed to you. And by the way, introductions may be handed to you, and that's okay. You, you know, I never say to someone, uh, don't reach out to people who might know somebody and can help you. It, you know, you shouldn't ever shy away from connections and working your network and, you know, getting introduced if you don't have the quote unquote in, you're, it's okay for people to open the door for you. You just have to do the work to get in once they open, you know? So I don't want to, um, I don't want to put out there that it's not okay to get help to get in somewhere. hundred percent, get all the help you can, but do the work. Well, that's the thing. It's like, again, I may open that door for you, but you're the one that's to walk through it. That's right. Um, and, and take those opportunities. Like I always say to folks, Go to the happy hour, go to the meeting, go, <laughs> go have the coffee, but also build relationships that are not transactional. Yes, yes, yes. That's the most partnerships. Yes. They should be like, hey, haven't talked to you in a bit, want to have a coffee and just catch up. And remember that like when folks know that you exist, and, and are, remember, are reminded of who you are, like, they're like, oh, wait, dude, I was just talking, talk to Jennifer. Cause like, yes, this makes good sense. And like the universe provides, I think that yes. we forget like, nope, it, it does. <laughs> like, um, right. The universe place. provides and you have to be open to accept what it's giving you. Well, that's the thing. I think oftentimes it's really hard for folks to realize that like, no, this seems off weird and unusual, go. <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable <laughs> it totally is it's like yeah. not you should never feel unsafe yes but right I, but I, I also think and this is something that happens you know I think a lot with a lot of the younger generations whereby like you know they've never failed and so they feel like you know everyone got a participation trophy and so as a result of that when you're like no go try it like what like no go try it it, yeah. it doesn't work it's okay that's right. That's right. Uh, but hopefully you have a network around you that, you know, because to your point, it's it's scarier to fail when you're a younger executive growing up than when you are maybe someone who is like me. Where I'm like, okay, if I fail, I, I, I pretty much know who I am. And if I fail, that means I was just trying something new. So I, I want to recognize it's definitely harder for 
younger executives to take that leap, but it will get better. It will get easier. Um, and it will be noticed, I think, by your organization that you're somebody who thinks a little bit differently. It's, it's just necessary to, to, to make yeah. it happen. So, you know, you've been working from home and Soho works our fabulous office. Yes. Um, what in the world do you do for your self-care? I am a, uh, I, I run, as I, I told you earlier, I went out for a run this morning, uh, clears my mind in the morning. I get up, uh, so I live with my wonderful partner. We've been together for seven years. We live in a small apartment, in a smaller uh, apartment in Dumbo. So getting my own space is crucial. Um, so to do that, I make sure I, I wake up super early every morning just to have a little bit of a hour or two to myself. And uh, I start every single day, almost every single day with a run and some sort of workout. Um, I am a fan of uh, documentaries. So I spend a lot of time, my downtime or when we used to travel, <laughs> uh, watching some documentaries. Um, and I, we're big, uh, I'm a big family person. So I recharge with my family and friends as well. You know, I, I make sure that I see um, the people who I love uh, a lot during the week because isolation is not good for anybody. <laughs> and as the world opens up, it's really good to kind of get out and reconnect. So that's how I take care of myself personally. And every now and again, I have a tequila at night. That makes me feel good. Oh, <laughs> all those things are great. Watch your tequila. Say it again. What's your favorite tequila? Oh, so interesting. I don't even have a favorite brand. I always go to our local shops in Dumbo and ask them to give me the new kind of small craft recommendation they have. So let me see. Oh. Yeah, I, so I don't I don't ever really buy the same brand. Um, uh, so the last brand I purchased was from our local shop around the corner. And I'm just pulling it up to see if I can remember the name for you. And I, I take pictures of it but it's probably buried. So I don't, I don't have a favorite brand, but I do like a very clean, uh, so I might spend a little bit more money on a tequila. So it's nice and clean mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and uh, neat. So uh, I can either choose to drink it on its own or throw a little uh, habanero in there and get a spicy margarita going. Okay, so we're going for tequila. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. And so you know who does the best spicy margarita in our neighborhood, in the Dumbo neighborhood, right? No. Grand Electrica. No. Yes. I can't believe you've missed that. It's on me. It is the best spicy margarita you'll have in your lifetime. Okay. So uh, we're going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> problem solved. Yeah. Oh my God. I had no idea because I, you know, I go to Anejo uh, on church here in Dry and because you know you can I know do, it well. You can do the flights <laughs> of tequila as one does. And so <laughs> I mean, of course. Uh, and so not rookies. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not, we're not playing here. We're we're we're, we're grown. <laughs> so yeah. uh, and uh, I went a couple of weeks ago and now similarly my brain is like fuzzy. Uh, I had this really smooth but a little smoky one as part of one of the flights, and I was like, what? this it was almost like it wasn't because i wasn't my mezcal so i'm like how are you getting the smokiness out of a tequila this is crazy interesting um, i have to try because i'm not a mezcal fan per se but i would be open to trying that if it was a different type of flavor yeah. oh my god why am i not remembering this oh because almost 10 a.m that's why uh, yeah, <laughs> what, you, what, you, what you can't see is i'm five foot tall at most uh, so it doesn't take me a lot to, you know, start to feel it. So I, I have to be very careful because, you know, in any overindulgent to me uh, at my height and weight takes me down very quickly. Ah. <laughs> so uh, I, I often have to really, oh, I, I forget, I'm so small. I, I keep trying to keep up with my friends and then, you know, three and my, I start to see double. So <laughs> you're like, and I should have stopped before. Right, and seen, and seen. It's okay. I know how to get home. <laughs> I can just roll down the corner. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, awesome. Okay, so we have a tequila date. Perfect. Um, and then last question for you. Um, do you have a give and ask of the audience? Um, excellent. I wasn't... 
my give, what can my give? Listen, my give is if anybody out there at all is listening and, you know, wants to use me as a soundboard or for counsel, you know, I've had so many different executives have a complete open door policy um, to me that, you know, I would be happy to help anybody. We work with, you know, a, a wonderful, a wonderful portfolio of brands that are, you know, Fortune 500 and big global, um, big brands that are globally recognized. So if anybody is looking for an opportunity, if anybody's just looking to chat, uh, my door is open and uh, I'm, I'm easily reachable. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not hard to find. And just, you know, reference your friend, Laura, and uh, I'll, I'll always have an open door policy for anybody in your audience. Um, that's wonderful, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, my ask is, you know, I'll, I'll make an ask for our industry. Sometimes we, uh, uh, I feel like we work in a misunderstood industry. Uh, and I truly think it is one of the most, uh, innovative, unique business solutions, uh, available today, uh, that can be deployed as a long-term strategy for organizations. So, uh, I'd ask that anybody that is presented with a different way of working, uh, give a, a generous amount of thought to it because, you know, breaking process and your comfort zone of working uh, actually could be a really, really good thing. So as, as we say, uh, unconventional results don't happen through conventional plans. So, so be open about new ways of doing things. Awesome. Um, and re a really good ask. Like I said, what you guys are doing is so fascinating and needed. So <laughs> at this particular moment. So it's it's very cool. Um, and I hope more of the folks in our industry um, continue to partner with you all. Because um, super fascinating and really cool. Like I said, like, the nerd in me, the data nerd in me is like, wait a minute, there's so many things. Oh, Jennifer, it has been an absolute delight uh, having you on the show. You just have a wealth of wisdom and goodness to share. And uh, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. And your open door policy, I find to be refreshing. Uh, oh, so, um, so we'll throw your details in the show notes and folks can reach out. Um, say, Laura, you listen to the Reset Podcast and Laura said you could. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and I will see you at Soho Works and we'll absolutely for our uh, our tequila tasting. Uh, absolutely. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Awesome. Thanks so much. And that is our show.